0: This week's TripCast, we'll talk about the governor's decision to opt out of the federal refugee resettlement program, the state's hemp legalization fiasco, and the latest in the Texas versus Planned Parenthood fight. But before we do, a word from our TripCast
1: sponsors. South by Southwest EDU. Join us at South by Southwest EDU 2020 for hundreds of innovative sessions and opportunities to connect with education visionaries. Walmart. In 2019, Walmart launched Live Better You, a program that offers college degrees for only $1 a day. Texas Associates have completed over 3,000 credits worth more than $1.6 million. Alabama Cushado Tribe of Texas. Do I have to talk you a Do we have to make, make sense hilarious. of it? Well, I
0: Hello, this is Alexa Uda here on Wednesday, January 15th with your Texas Tribune TripCast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by managing editor Matthew Watkins, who didn't have to edit a debate story last night. Yes. Criminal justice reporter Jolie McCullough. Hello. And justice and politics reporter Emma Platoff. Hi there. Lots of justice on the stage today. <laughs> oh, yeah. As usual, we'll be taking your questions from Facebook and Twitter, so send them our way using the hashtag Tribcast. All right. So we're going to back up to last week for most, if not all, of our conversation today, Uh, starting with Governor Greg Abbott's Friday announcement that he would block the direct resettlement of refugees in the state. Uh, A federal judge just an hour ago blocked the Trump administration's policy to let states actually decide whether they want to participate. Uh, What did you all make of the decision?
2: It was an interesting one, you know, because um, as has been uh, discussed a lot since it happened, Texas is the first state to say it does not want refugees. Um, You know, Governor Abbott uh, has caught a lot of grief from it, uh, most notably among the Catholic bishops in the state. Um, Abbott is uh, well known as being a Catholic. Um,
3: Including his own church, right?
2: The the entire, I think all the bishops, so that would include, yes, Mm -hmm. his his church as well. You know, he, um, after that happened, which seemed to have struck a chord because his office responded to that criticism, which a lot of times they just kind of let these things slide, came out and said, um, you know, no one one who's seeking refugee status in the United States will be denied because of this was their argument. Basically, they've been saying that um, Texas has been doing this for a long time and now it's time for someone else to kind of pick up that share, which was was an interesting perspective, um, you know. But now we'll see whether that actually sticks. This ruling today, uh, at least for now, blocks it. Although I'm sure we will see this kind of wind its way through the courts, and whether this stays in place is a very big question.
3: I thought it was interesting that he that Abbott in the letter. Um, announcing this, mentioned, you know, we have people that we need to take care of already here. And he brought up, you know, the homeless, which has been his, the thing that he's been talking about nonstop for the last month or so. Um, So that, it it just seemed a little interesting to me that that's what one of his reasons for this is.
0: I mean, but the reality is that federal refugee resettlement is completely funded by the feds. I mean, when Texas was part of the program, all they would do is send money to these nonprofits. So I do think this whole idea of, you know, these nonprofits should be focusing on the people already here. Like they don't have extra dollars to help those folks. The money that they were using to help refugees was coming actually from the feds to fund all of this. I don't, I don't think it's a like one-to-one necessarily.
4: Yeah, I also think it's, it's just notable the scale of this. I think, you know, folks might hear, oh, the governor doesn't want refugees uh, immediately resettling in the state. Of course, there's still a provision to where they could settle somewhere else and then eventually move to Texas. But the numbers of refugees who actually resettle in Texas is, I believe, has never been above 10,000. In recent years, it's been something like 2,000. So um, compared to the number of people, you know, We hear a lot of talk from state leaders about illegal immigration and people who may be seeking asylum at the border, which is obviously a huge part of policy in Texas. It's just a a much smaller issue just from a headcount perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean, the reality, though, is we were, you know, refugee... Texas was sort of this hotbed of refugee resettlement. There was a point where we would get, like, 10% of the refugees that were placed in the U.S. every year. And, like, that endured through the first years of Abbott's governorship. I mean, this isn't something that seemed to be an issue before it became a political one, and which is why I do think it's interesting to see the response we heard this time from church leaders, because, I mean, there was some outcry in 2015 and 16 with the whole with Abbott's fight to keep Syrian refugees from being placed here, but not at this level.
3: Well, and how much of a political issue is it really? Because I know, like, there has been this hasn't necessarily been like a Republican versus Democrat thing, like 42 of the 43 governors that have chimed in on this Trump policy have said, yes, we will allow it. but see only one. And it, it's, it, I don't really understand like the political motivation, um,
4: Well, I think if you look at, okay, here's an executive order from Donald Trump, and we've had 42 governors before Abbott say, uh, we're not going to take advantage of this new option the president is offering us to basically opt out of this resettlement program, doesn't look good for Trump, right? If he goes out of his way, gets a lot of flack for this policy, and then no state leaders and no local leaders actually take him up on it, Texas is typically a pretty strong Trump ally. You have to wonder if that played into the calculation here. Because we were the first state to
0: opt out of these 40-some others, basically.
4: Yeah, and I I think there was some speculation that, you know, after Texas did that, that might kind of clear the way for other states to feel like they had a little bit more cover from potential criticism for doing it themselves. And the, I think the deadline to tell the federal government one way or the other was January 21st, so still a few more days to go.
0: Yeah, I do think um, it's interesting in terms of, if you think of the we've talked about this a little bit before on other sort of political issues where there's sort of a constituency of none in terms of the people affected by it. Um, You know, obviously refugees after five years can become U.S. citizens and then vote and, and all of that. But I do think about it, maybe not a red versus blue political thing nationally, but I don't think this hurts him with the voters he needs to keep on his side, right? I mean, he's not up for re-election for several years, but based on, you know, some of the numbers that our pollsters put up in a column today, it doesn't seem like his supporters are going to be opposed to this decision necessarily, even the Catholic ones. It was a pretty split there.
2: You know, he did announce, or he did put the letter out on a Friday afternoon, um it um kind of reading the tea leaves um conservative organization conservative news organizations appeared to get the information first um but he has not he doesn't seem to be wanting to draw a ton of attention to this it's it's not a situation where it's not like the homeless thing for example which clearly abbott has made the decision that getting into a fight with the city of austin over its homeless policies is a Is a winner for him. This one, I think it is a bit of a more of a mixed bag.
0: All right, well, let's move on to a bit of a lighter subject, uh, the ongoing fiasco surrounding lawmakers' decision last year to legalize hemp. Matthew's already smiling. Well, I'm just lighter. <laughs> the,
2: uh, we're already hitting the puns here.
0: Boy, well, that was kind of a lame one. I tried. I couldn't, really, think about, yeah. I couldn't think on my feet there. Um, okay, so marijuana prosecutions have plummeted. There are all these testing issues to distinguish between marijuana and hemp. We've got a driver who was jailed for a month because law enforcement thought he was hauling, what was it, 3,350 pounds of weed that was actually hemp. Um, Austin is now considering whether to effectively decriminalize possession of small amounts of pot. Even if lawmakers wanted to change anything, they're not back for another year. What kind of political stage, though, does this set for when they do come back?
3: Uh, I think we're you're going to see two sides coming at each other. Um, I mean, yeah, there, it's this thing now where there's a patchwork system across the entire state of depending on what county you're in, how you're going to be prosecuted, if at all, for possessing marijuana, um, suspected marijuana, uh, because there is this testing concern of whether or not something is hemp. Um, You know, you're going to see when we're back in session, I think, in 2021, some lawmakers, the people who've been kind of pushing for decriminalization of small amounts of marijuana already, um, are going to say, I've already seen a couple of them say this on Twitter, like, look, we already accidentally kind of did this and the sky isn't falling. Why not just do it for real? Um, and then I think you're going to have some people who are basically like, oh, shit, let's back up. We need to figure out how to solve this. Um, this was not obviously the intention of the law. Um, and it's like an oops that they're trying to figure out how to resolve, which is actually one of the interim charges that Speaker, House Speaker uh, Bonin told the Criminal Jurisprudence Committee which hadn't heard this the hemp bill at all in the actual session, to figure out how to ensure that we can, can like continue to maintain and uphold the existing laws, a.k.a. continue to enforce marijuana
2: prosecution. Do we think there's enough support in the Texas legislature to fix this in a way that makes the state's marijuana laws more strict? I mean, it's one thing to get legislation through you know and get it past for instance Dan Patrick um, to loosen the laws but you know I my sense that I've gotten especially in the house is that there's quite a bit of quite a few lawmakers who would actually be more inclined to go the other direction and it's harder to get something through the ledge than it is to kill something in the ledge so I'm curious to see whether that's even a realistic possibility
3: to have harsher punishment yeah
2: or to to kind of solve this in a pro- solve this problem that they've created themselves in a way that um, kind of m- makes it more restrictive in terms of what you can do Yeah. And I mean,
3: have. they can have it in a way that even if you possess hemp, you have to have x amount more, you know, paperwork, whatever. There's already some paperwork, but it's not necessarily like a criminal offense or if anything, it's like a class C, which is a non-jailable offense. Um, they can make that penalty a lot harsher so they can try to get you in for even if they can't tell if it's hemp or marijuana. Um, there could be, you know, if they, there could be the route of just giving crime labs more money and say like, look, we want to use this as this is something we want to make a priority, like test it, take like, here's some more money to do so. Cause that's been a concern, but yeah, I mean, it'll but be interesting.
0: Is, is this a red versus blue thing? I mean, like, does the outcome of whatever happens next session, if anything, depend on the House flips, for example? Um, I mean, it's not necessarily a red versus blue thing. Obviously, I think there are more
3: Democrats that favor some sort of decriminalization than others, but it's been in both party platforms. Um, And, you know, there was a bill that it was walked back a little bit, but lessened punishment for marijuana possession in the House that did pass, and then it just got nowhere in the Senate. So, I mean, really, it's more like technically speaking it's more of a chamber issue house versus senate
4: than red versus blue the other really interesting division i think is between the state and the locals you know we see these kind of progressive prosecutors in places like dallas and houston and and austin travis county who say we're not going to pursue charges for this and it seems to me like no matter what the legislature does in 2021 you could have prosecutors in austin say listen we've we've decided to decriminalize this and we're not going to pursue charges on this in our, you know, limited jurisdiction. And just given the kind of independent way that those offices are structured, they don't rely on a ton of funding from the state. It's, it's difficult for me to see how the state could, you know, for example, force a DA to prosecute.
3: You can't, I mean, and that's something I think a lot of people don't understand is district attorneys have an incredible amount of power in terms of what cases they want to prosecute and whatnot. And so that's already been a situation, right? Where Some DAs, mostly in urban, more liberal counties, have said, you know, we're just not going to pursue first-time offenses anyway before the hemp law happened. Um, And so that's some of the, like, criticism of this movement now to not prosecute has been, like, they're just using this for political cover because they already wanted to do this. But the difference is it's not just liberal counties. It is more conservative ones. And also the conservative ones sometimes are saying... We still need this lab report and spending a bunch of money to do so.
2: But but one of the things you've recently written about um, and what I think has been pretty great coverage of this mess has been the person who was arrested in the panhandle for carrying a for he, well, he was in jail for a, a month mm-hmm. um, before. Uh, a crime lab determined that what he was transporting was hemp. And you look at that case, I think it really does encapsulate kind of the perspective of the district attorneys here because this is a situation where on the surface you looked at things and I could see why the DPS officer thought that that this person was sure i mean it's him. in a There's bunch like, of black
3: bags yeah it was like a beat up <laughs> u-haul truck with,
2: like, <laughs> Why trash you bags? It that way that's yeah. apparently then, pretty bizarre the, apparently
3: the, the his defense attorney who's a cannabis attorney told me it's like heat and white affects the product so that yeah. is a way huh
2: but then he has this lab report right that shows that this has been tested and it's under the legal level of thc but of course like like if you're gonna carry around a truck full of marijuana, like what's gonna stop you from just printing out a lab report? Like I can also well, see the skepticism there. Sure,
3: it's apparently according to the trooper or the DEA agent hadn't happened yet where they'd gotten a f- fake lab report. But yes, sure. that is definitely well, a Now criticism. everyone has the idea.
4: Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, I mean, Sorry. Thanks, maybe, maybe, thanks, Matthew,
0: <laughs> yeah. maybe start doing that. I, um, could, I mean like the thing about this though, like this is wild, right? The, the like we have all sat through these like long committee hearings that I don't wish on anyone where like half of the lawmakers are paying attention, but like they were warned about these testing issues and this whole like, oops, we accidentally unintentionally decriminalized this. Like it, it's just goes to show the like way laws are passed in this state. And the, un- I mean, like, I don't even, it's an unintentional consequence, but it's really just a mess that they've created mm-hmm. because they didn't pay attention during a committee hearing. Like th- that is so nutty to me.
4: And also, you know, I I think a lot of us have been amused by this, but this most recent case that Jolie wrote about with this this guy in the panhandle, like, that's kind of the highest stakes, right? This man was unlawfully deprived of his liberty for weeks at a time, and the state of Texas did that to him. So that's a pretty insane outcome. That's, like, something that most lawmakers would probably be outraged by
0: in any other scenario, I think.
3: It is kind of interesting that you're not hearing much about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because he's going to sue –
0: like right, that, like that, right. That's, that's clearly what comes now i mean right if, if you were wrongful, jailed seemingly yeah. like wrongfully detained for a month um right yeah i do think it's been interesting to not hear from the people you would think you would normally hear from on this front about something like this happening to someone it's it's just wild um okay well before our next topic we've got two more tripcast sponsors
1: Alabama Kushata Tribe is proud to support Texas with more than 650 jobs and $150 million in annual impact on the state's economy. Learn more at supportactribe.com. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Want health care insights? Listen to the Blue Promise podcast hosted by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at standingwithtexas.com.
0: All right. So the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton issued a legal opinion uh, saying that basically facilitating any sort of state employee donations to Planned Parenthood uh, as part of this sort of charitable charitable campaign that we apparently do or that the state puts on every year uh, is now prohibited by a new state law. Uh, Obviously, these individuals can still donate to Planned Parenthood sort of separately from this. But given the state's history to sort of cut off as much money as I can to Planned Parenthood. Is this just sort of business as usual at this point?
4: Yeah, I think this is maybe um, not an impact that everyone foresaw, but as you mentioned, there was this law passed in 2019 by State Senator Donna Campbell, a Republican of New Braunfels, that basically tried to prevent any government entity in the state from doing business with any abortion provider or, importantly, any affiliate of any abortion provider. So the target at the time was this $1 a year, um, you know, what critics call a sweetheart deal between a Planned Parenthood location in East Austin and the city, which obviously rents it out, you know, well below market rate. And um, this is just another one of the impacts of that bill. So every fall, um, as many of us learned for the first time last week, the state organizes a charitable Campaign contribution drive among employees. It's raised something like two hundred million dollars since it um, started, I believe, in the nineties. And employees have this kind of menu of options of charities they can give to. There's eleven hundred on the list, and every year they have to reapply and be re-vetted and reapproved. So for years and years, several Planned Parenthood um, entities um, in different parts of the state have been on this list. And in 2018 alone, just one of those locations received $180,000 from this drive. So it's not an insignificant amount of money. Um, and of course, the interpretation from the state's attorney general is that because state resources go into facilitating this drive, you know, there are folks who kind of do the automatic payroll deductions and run through some other kind of screenings on state dollar and state time that this can't happen anymore. Uh, As you said, this doesn't prevent, you know, state employee X or Y from receiving their paycheck and then turning around and writing a check to Planned Parenthood, but anyone who runs fundraising drives, you know, knows that if you can make something automatic to where people don't have to think about it and remember to do it, you're probably gonna have more success raising money.
2: Is Is there any possibility of a First Amendment claim against this?
4: I don't know exactly what the legal landscape has been in response to this state law. Um, it seems like the legal interpretation is just kind of following the law there, but I I haven't really been aware of anything so far. I know. like know? If you
0: think of the hypothetical in which, I don't know, this was some sort of group that conservatives, that's like sort of dear and near to their heart and there was... I guess you would need the underlying law that prohibits any sort of relationship with them so that you would have the same scenario. But I can't anticipate that it would be taken well if it were somehow the opposite way.
4: Right. If the ruling were, you know, we can't have taxpayer dollars funding state resources to facilitate donations to, like, the Catholic Church or something like that.
0: Though I will say, I was pretty surprised that Planned Parenthood was even on this list, honestly, like, that they made it through this vetting process. Well, there's, like, how many are
4: there? It's about 1,100 last year, yeah. And it does make you wonder, like, how closely are Republican state leaders watching this list? It may just be, you know kind of tucked away in some agency that no one really much thinks about it but. well
0: and these are affiliates these are not the abortion providers right these are the affiliates that do women's health so they do annual exams the std screening breast and cervical cancer stuff i mean it's not the abortion providers themselves
4: and that's the important part of senator campbell's law which has this kind of broad definition of affiliate of abortion provider it's you know very carefully crafted to capture Planned Parenthood locations, um, that don't provide abortions themselves, but may, you know, do other services, yeah.
0: Well, and in reality, I mean, the thing that you mentioned about, like, how closely are Republicans, how close of attention are they actually paying to this sort of stuff? I mean, the only reason we got this opinion was because you had someone who works for Greg Abbott, basically, ask- Right, the I go- mean, are these, ask- like,
3: planted questions? It seems like, like, hey, I need to figure this out, so just ask me and then I can write an opinion-
4: so I mean, it seems the, like that happens, right? The the campaign committee which, you know, to be fair, I think very few of us even knew about, you know, but um is run by a state policy committee and th- many members of that committee are appointed by the governor. So the current leader of that committee is a guy named Greg Davidson who works in the governor's office as kind of like his full-time job. Mm-hmm. This isn't a full-time position running the campaign for him. Yeah. And yeah, he issued a very brief um question to Attorney General Paxton back in September. And, you know, I think there's always speculation about, hey, can you ask me that question? Because I'd, I'd really like to answer it. Uh, but, we, you know, we don't have that information. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there have been other
0: opinions from the Attorney General that have been sort of oddly placed or, or sort of come out of nowhere from people who request them. But the whole, like, I mean, these are sort of non-binding, right? They're technically someone could go wild and still
4: want to include Planned Parenthood on this list? Yeah, I think that if this committee decided to absolutely go rogue, they might, you know, face some legal challenges. I, You're exactly right that these opinions are non-binding. It's basically the attorney general's office saying, you know, based on the facts that we have and the law that we have, here's our best guess at what a court would tell you on this. And it's pretty rare that you would see someone kind of buck that entirely, but I guess it's not impossible. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, the attorney general is the the top lawyer for the state, right, right? you know, and there's sometimes like where local governments will seek an opinion or, you know, it's the city of Austin and maybe they have a little bit more uh, of a ability to kind of be like, all right, well, we have their opinion, but we're gonna, we have our own lawyers and gonna follow our own opinions. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's not necessarily uncommon, correct me if you disagree with this, that for people to kind of have an agenda when they submit a request for an opinion. Like a lot of times, sometimes it's, there's a sincere question over like, what do we do here? And other times it's people maybe seeing something they don't like, and this is their way to kind of raise it to bring an into to it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. There, an example from the last couple of years, I think it was State Senator Paul Bettencourt, a Republican of Houston, who said, you know, I've seen some school districts that are using uh, school buses, you know, state, city, government property to bus people to the polls. And mm-hmm. do you think that's legal? And was an opportunity for Paxton to say, you know, we can't have any electioneering on the state dime. More recently, someone asked um, a question of Paxton's office that seemed to get at kind of the heart of one of the major questions in Paxton's own criminal case about proper payments to prosecutors. And he had to be recused himself, of course, from that opinion, but it was from a Republican county. And it seems like there's a question there of whether that might have been a question that the agency wanted to answer just to have something on the record
0: yeah i do think the the whole opinion process is sort of an interesting maybe not intentionally but like political extension of paxton's office i mean he can sort of signal the things that are priorities to him and what he chooses to pro to prosecute or defend or how to how strongly to defend something um but it is sort of this like weird structure within his office as the state's top lawyer where the he's sort of offering these opinions to other folks um all right well uh that's all the time we have uh thanks to spoon for our theme music and to south by southwest edu walmart the alabama Cushata tribe and the blue cross and blue shield of texas are sponsors this week on behalf of matthew jolie and emma and our producers michael ray and regina this is alexa thanks for listening